Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Hey, LeVar here. And while I'm busy back in the studio recording new stories and getting ready to release our new season, we figured now might be a good time to let you hear the incredible 3D immersive sound remixing we're doing on the back catalog. We're still on the theme of paranormal activity for this little preseason series, and this story fits the bill perfectly. And I sincerely hope you like it. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads where in every episode I handpick a different piece of short fiction and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them. And I hope you will too. Well, y'all, today's story is one of those stories that <laughs> mixes the familiar with the magical. And I love it. It's called Your Rover Is Here by L.P. Kendred. Now, L.P. Kendred is a Chicagoan, Angelino, who writes speculative fiction that features black and or queer lives. And when not writing, he can be found singing, eating good food, pretending to be fancy, watching bad TV, and lifting heavy objects. <laughs> he is, or will be, an alum of the Hurston Wright Program, the Voices of Our Nation's Arts Workshop, and the Clarion Workshop. This story of his first appeared in the June 2020 issue of Faya magazine. Your rover is here. It follows a rideshare driver trying to hit his ride bonus on the streets of Los Angeles, who maybe, kinda, accidentally gets mixed up in the occult? when he's just out there trying to make a living. And whether or not you're a person who knows your inherent magic users from your mages, you're going to have fun with the way that LP has built the magical world here. This is a story about confronting evil in a very tangible way. Now, the story does have some darker elements. And it's got more adult language than usual, so a heads up on that. And please check out the written episode description if you're so inclined or worried. And now, if you're ready, let's take a deep breath. Whew. 
and begin. Your Rover is Here by L.P. Kendred The LED clock beneath the dashboard glows 2.30 a.m. My heart pumps four-hour surge through hellfire veins to combat the car's lulling vibrations. My fists grip the steering wheel. Instead of squeezing, I push. Not with muscles, but with presence. My hands heat up, firing up like a purple LED beneath the skin. And the overlapping, intersecting mosaic tattoos spiral into motion, sailing across the backs of my hands and knuckles. My brothers would be surprised by me using magic at all, and mad that I'm just using it to wake myself up. Drive like you have a license, dickhead! Idling at a green light. Okay, I deserve that. Igniting the fire in my bones is a great way to perk up, but I should have pulled over. I'm only in these streets for that healthy and much-needed bonus after 60 rides before Friday morning when I should be catching up on manuscript pages. My landlord will not wait. My advisor will have to. I'm trying to write a memoir about my adolescence and fucked-up family dynamic, but they keep referring to my work as speculative. Honestly, truth is stranger than fiction, and father might just be the devil. Nights like this, I think about doing what father asked so he would pay my tuition, rent, car note, and grocery bill. But this is my life. I choose. And I choose to do the right thing. The rover app chirps and pulls me back to the present. Two minutes away, 58 rides down, two rides to go. Bet. I keep one eye on traffic while the other watches the curb for a towhead with a 90s bowl cut. Aha, spotted. And dude chose a stretch of sunset where I can pull over without causing an accident? I like Caleb already. I glide into the empty space in front of him, and he climbs into the back seat. Caleb? I ask. He doesn't respond. Maybe he didn't hear me with the car door closing. He's singing under his breath. It's all good. Plenty of people wear headphones so they don't have to talk to the driver. And shit. Entertaining riders isn't the job. Good news, it's a long ride. Bad news, it terminates in the middle of a rideshare dead zone, Westchester, at night. I'm thinking this while pulling onto the 101. Before long, I'm yearning for that driving autopilot, the interplay between instinct and reaction. I want to stop thinking about my family and my finances, get out of my head. 
Caleb's still singing in the background, and I only notice when we get to downtown L.A. and hit traffic. What the hell's happening at 2.43 a.m. on a Thursday? I sneak a peek at him in the rear view. Bowl-cut Caleb wears an all-black suit and white dress shirt with a bolo tie. He's still singing under his breath, still staring out the windshield, still super weird, but whatever. I navigate us through this Lakers-induced snarl of cars, and I'd find my zone easier if bro wasn't mumbling to himself. It's getting louder. I'm not going to strong-arm him on his own ride, but... Bro, cool if I cut up the radio? I ask, to no response. No change in whatever song he's singing and no indication he heard me speak. But I'm taking that as affirmative. I turn the radio on to the voices of Zihana and Henny C, howling like stray cats over a drumline-inspired hip-hop beat. Breakfast me... Just like bacon. You taste when it's real, no turkey faking. Once you smell that smell, you're done, forsaken. Gonna have to share what's left, not taken. Breakfast me, breakfast me. First thing in the morning. Something about two people who can't sing being on the radio it makes you feel like you have to add something positive to the situation. I mean, it doesn't actually matter that I'm legit tone-deaf with a negative six-octave range. I'm feeling myself. I don't know how long I was singing. All I know is I'm going off, like windows up on the 405 while your jam is playing, and the subwoofer knocks so hard you can't hear any words for all the bass. But my car is barely rover-eligible, and the sound system is more like a sound system failure. Then... I remember I'm not between rides. Not only did I just alienate creepy, bowl-cut Caleb, but someone just listened to me duetting lyrics demanding sex before daylight. I cut the music down. Hey, man, I'm so sorry. This was my car before it was my job, and I'm a little tired over here. Old habits die hard, so sorry. I'm looking at him in the rear view, and he's still mumbling, eyes straight through the windshield to the sprawl. No, he's not singing. Is he chanting? I turn down Z and Henny all the way. The whoosh of wind past the car doesn't help me hear, but those are not words. No words I ever heard. Yo, Caleb, you good back there? His eyes shut lazily, excruciatingly slow, while his lips race. I finger my phone suspended above the dash. There's no alert on the app that the passenger is deaf-gained. Please let him be talking to himself. Caleb, you okay, man? I ask, physically turning in my seat to look at dude. Then... I'm mad at myself for not questioning sooner. There are no headphones, no AirPods. As if in response, Caleb opens his eyes, crackling with electricity while the words grow in volume, not in decibels, but in density. Motherfucker. How did I get caught slipping? Some 
Children of the corn-ass people under the stairs looking fool, encanting in my back seat, just channeling the eldritch lightning? Like, no big deal. The rover app chirps. I zero in, we're nearing his destination. I look up through the windshield. It's a two-story building with the words praise and peace, C-O-G-I-C, emblazed across the building. Church of God in Christ? This is a black church. Dude's eyes crackle, and I don't remember what blue lightning means. Creation magic, or does it indicate dimensional friction? Whatever it is, I try to turn the wheel, but it drags back toward the black-ass church with a full-ass parking lot. He's commandeering my car to crash... what? A revival, probably. Those shits never end. So, Opie Munster channels primordial lightning, and I'm supposed to be his regular-ass, human-ass, black-ass delivery system to murder a church full of black people? One last chance, Caleb, I say. But I'm not waiting. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. And every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire. Michelle Obama, to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Because stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, uh Hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew. Grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night, no matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. 
because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. Now, let's get back to our story. The mosaics and Aramaic symbols coalesce across my arms as my tattoos burn bright. The fire starts in my bones, and I feed it with presence to burn hotter, brighter, faster. The tattoos burst into flame, friction between the cooling charms and my internal inferno. The only time I ever have a mane is when I'm using gin magic and the flames erupt within my hairline. My eyes go black before emitting volcanic tears, falling in the wrong direction. My skin burns from caramel to obsidian, cracking where the joints flex and showing purple beneath. The volcano within my body threatens to escape, and it hurts like hell. My car smells of ozone and sulfur, Synthetics sizzle and fume, demanding coughs from Caleb. This is the first time his reverie breaks, but the invocation continues. He returns to it like he missed his cue in choir and goes right back to chanting. His words sandwich between a comic male voice and a lady tenor, a basso profundo, and a raspy mezzo. Electricity sizzles and pops off of him, Webs of lightning arcing between him and conductive matter. Mostly me. One of those wild charges hits me in the back of the neck and it stings like a bitch. My hand flies up like I'm trying to swat a thunderstorm the size of a mosquito. His ain't the kind of magic you go to school to learn. Not the kind of forces people like me grew up wrangling, either. This that shit you learn at your granny's knee. This is poor people magic. But it's too much power for any folk mage. I love my voice when I'm like this, all cavernous and sinister. I don't know who the fuck you think you are, but you got the wrong one, little bitch. You people don't belong here. Caleb's words resound higher, but the incantation rings out in harmony, cacophonous. His very first words tonight. I wonder for a moment if he's talking about inherent magic users, but since I'm black and we're driving to a black church, I'm thinking he's just a racist or eugenicist, not a magical speciesist. His hands form a broken circle about chest high. Worms of power circle his fingers, electricity collecting in the invisible receptacle between his hands. The blue lightning drifts to his torso, burning so bright it looks like it consumes his body. No person using folk magic could survive channeling this much power, not even with teamwork, so this isn't a lightning strike, it's a suicide bombing. Great. With my magic up, I can feel the contours of his. He wavers for a second, and I swing the car hard. My seatbelt resists my body's momentum, but Caleb crashes into the passenger side. His hair smudges the soot against the window when he writes himself. A noxious cloud of burnt-up holstery swirls overhead. The toss broke his concentration. The coven continues to chant while he coughs. 
His open hand closes until the fingers form a bird beak. The car lights up brighter before I feel a sizzling sting on my neck. I slap the spot like I'm trying to squash a power drill on my collarbone. I look over, and he makes another bird beak. This time, I see the wriggling shard of electricity coming at me. I want to dodge, but I'm driving, trying to drive. I take the hit like a boss, but that mofo would have blasted through my neck if I wasn't blazing. The lightning intensifies. Electric tentacles whip around the car. The eye of this storm embeds itself deeper inside him. I focus my breathing. Purple brands from igneous skin drift to the air and around me, widening, swirling like a magical mobile. I push the mosaics and symbols to expand their sphere around my body. I shiver when the sigils pass through Caleb. Does he feel that? The human side of me knows the car just turned into an oppressive hotbox. The gin side of me feels a breeze. I lift my thigh, and the synthetic fabric unpeels from my leg with a crunch. Hadn't even thought about vulcanizing my car against my magic, probably because I swore off blazing like this when I was 16. The hue around me surges between purple gin magic and the blue of his electricity against the rising haze. But blue is overtaking purple. He's channeling more and more power. We both pull the trigger. He increases his output while I turn on the input. Wild lightning crackles and whirls against every surface in the car, not just me. I ingest the charge bloating with power. My stomach roils and bubbles. Thick tongues of purple-tinged fire dance against the car's roof. In the rear view, I see ashes pirouetting on my head. I sneak a glance at him, pressed against the passenger door before looking out the rear window. He backed himself into the corner, getting as far away from me as possible. I turn my face forward after I look out the side. No one around. We good. Kinda. Electricity thunders against the roar of my fire. His mouth and eyes open to blue light, like his skin is all that contains the power. His backlit face twists in rage, or maybe it's agony. He gasps before I feel him push out more electricity. The more charges I take from Caleb, the more wildfire swirls around us. The skin wards circle the car, containing the heat and light and power. I concentrate, and the wards reach for my skin like magnets. Even with the fires of hell burning inside me, it burns. I'm immune to heat and light and flame, but this shit still hurts. The car shrieks beneath the pressure of my contracting skin wards. Then Caleb shrieks as the space within becomes less. He unloads a last effort to stop the compression. It's too late, though. He's channeling too much energy to stay corporeal. 
He's just a mass of energy clinging to the outlines of what used to be his body. He screams once more, electricity vibrating between vocal cords that aren't there. When he surges, the energy consumes all the matter left of the car, but doesn't pierce the imploding cage my skin wards create. I'm too energy-saturated to be harmed physically. I grit my teeth as his energy pushes against the wards and clench as the circle of force rolls forward. Head over feet and side over side, I stretch like a starfish. The action feels like control. Control is a lie. I take a deep breath and inhale the energy down and draw the wards closer to my skin. Quick sip the electricity that used to be matter. My car, Caleb. Every square inch of my body blazes in pain and power. I glow like a sunrise against the night. My joints ache against bending like they're filled with fluid instead of electricity. My cells contain more power than I've ever wanted to command. Father would be proud. I look back at the stretch of asphalt bubbling where my skin wards touched. There's no other sign of an averted terrorist attack, no sign of Caleb, no remnant of my car. (laughs) My fucking car. My cell, my wallet, my clothes, my comfort bonus. They're all gone. The brothers always told me I'd get used to the excruciating pain of teleportation if I teleported more often. I hoped having so much power on hand would make teleportation easier. And it was easier to gear up. The pain's worse than I remember. I just want to be home. I'm not thinking about the church, the people, inside or out. I'm not thinking about the accords or bystanders. I'm thinking about being home. And I'm thinking about what he said. You don't belong here. Static lone wolves run into theaters and churches and schools all the time to further their military-grade assault rifle agendas, but... They come from wolf packs and chat rooms, echo chambers, offering confirmation biases. This folk mage channeled a whole-ass coven. They were willing to die for what they believed. I guess they did, even if he didn't accomplish the goal. That's why I called you. Mr. Bilal. That's one hell of a story, Inspector Burgess says, his manicured fingers flicking sigils into the air. Green light springs from his delicate runes. His magic travels in straight lines and concentric lines, geometry and motion, contained, regimented. I bristle against the use of classical magic in my crib. It pleases me that you reported this alleged breach of the Accords of Secrecy. We can't have the static community learning about the existence of the magical world, 
Can we? That's what I was thinking, but I stopped the breach, and I lost everything doing it, I say, gesturing to my chest. My body is finely cooled off, but hasn't reached my natural caramel color. Your account is only a claim until the forensic retrocognizance verify your version of events. The espers observe and alter bystander memories, and the investigative augers generate a profile on this. He looks down to his notes. Caleb, you said. It's not a question, not really. Assuming we find no further fault on your part, you can expect a settlement check in as few as nine weeks, he says, his voice cheery. Further fault on your part? I ask. This is L.A. I need my car to get around and to work. Maybe you should rethink fraternizing with alleged terrorists, Mr. Bilal. Inspector Burgess says with a straight face, repositioning the glyphs in several sequences. His work more important than acknowledging the devastation he wreaks on my life. I I drive rideshare. I was in my car when trouble got in. I say, lost. Isn't there a reward or something for stopping statics from seeing big magic? You admitted abetting a terrorist attack. Burgess removes a notebook from his jacket pocket, laying it open in his palm. And statics did indeed see you and your magics. He watches the book flap its cover like leather bat wings, chasing the overhead glyphs, eating them like a predatory bird chasing butterflies. Do you really believe that warrants a reward? Why would I tell on myself if I was in on it? A flame flickers on the back of my right hand and I take a deep breath. It took me three hours to stop glowing and I can't start over. It's already going to be three more hours before I can leave the house. And I'm hungry. I glare at the inspector. There was a whole coven channeling a great flood-level thunderstorm through him. Why do you insist on the involvement of a coven? The notebook alights onto Burgess's hand, fatter than it was upon takeoff. Because someone with inherent magic wouldn't have died from channeling that much magic. Someone with classical craft wouldn't have tried something so dangerous. No folk mage could pull down that kind of power without collaboration. It was a coven, I say, flustered. I heard them. That's a big claim coming from someone like you, he says. Aren't you directly related to a key figure in an inherent magic terrorist group? (laughs) My father's choices aren't mine. And your brothers? He asks as if condescending to a toddler. I'm a grad student, man. A rideshare driver. I pay rent, utilities, taxes. Do I look like I'm launching an assault against the parliament of the craft? I demand. He looks at me. Pitying? Curious? What? I ask. His smirk widens into a smile. What is your problem, man? 
My problem is you. A drain on resources. Resources? You're acting like I'm not up to date on my craft insurance. What would you expect, Mr. Bilal? I expect you to stop accusing me of a crime I prevented. I expect you to acknowledge the personal cost I paid to make your job easier. And I expect you to cut a check from my losses before I'm evicted from my apartment. Inspector Burgess's smile drips with malice. Thank you for your concern and contribution, Mr. Bilal. He turns and uses an iridescent stick of chalk to draw the outline of a door on my decorative fireplace. He chants something and does some hand gestures, more classical magic. He turns to me as a door grits open into my living room, backlighting him. The rest is above my pay grade, he says before disappearing into the door. The fireplace door slams shut, and the seams seal. The portal light fades. I'm alone in my apartment, seething, literally seething. I look around my studio. I didn't have much, but it is mine. Now I have less, and I'm at risk of losing more. What's more than everything? I dialed the number by rote. Besides mine, it's the only one I know by heart. Thank God I got a landline. A woman answers. Hello? Hey, can I speak to Mackay? I ask. Yeah, who's this? Uh, Tell him it's Ahmad, his brother, Ahmad. The line goes silent, and I wonder if she hung up. I wonder if Mackay will take my call when I hear a rustle on the other end. Hello, Ahmad? Hey, big bro. How you doing? Negro, I haven't heard from you in literal years. Try again. He sounds like Morgan Freeman narrating God, if God grew up in Baltimore. I need some help, Mackay. I figured. You know my hands are tied. I can't help you unless... Tell him. I need help. I need him. You know damn well his kind of help comes with strings. I know. I'm not asking for easy. Why now, Amon? Because doing right don't mean nothing if all anyone sees when they look at you is wrong. There's a long pause on the line before Mackay takes in a deep breath. Didn't Father tell you that years ago? It meant nothing until wrong looked me in the face and told me it was right, I say. And if that's right, I can't be.
So here's what comes up for me when I read this story. What comes up for me is how I wish that there were stories like this when I was a boy falling in love with the genre. Because, and I've said this on, on the show before, that you know, there weren't a whole lot of heroes in the pages of the science fiction and fantasy books I read that looked like me. And I am so happy to be alive in this current era of the genre where speculative fiction and fantasy is full of representation of Black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, um, non-binary gendered people. I mean, the whole gamut is showing up in the genre because of the diverse voices. And I think that this, this is a magical time for readers of this genre. The other thing that this story causes me to think about is how a hero bucks up against the status quo, you know? Because here's a guy, Bilal, this badass wielder of inherent magic, right, that is doing mortal combat with this coven of white supremacist witches. (laughs) And, And he kicks their ass, right? But at the same time, he's struggling against this dynamic with his family where he knows the price for engaging with that tradition on its terms. He's living his life on his own terms, and that's critically important to him. But what he comes to realize is that there are forces out there that are bigger and stronger and tougher than he is. And what he needs is to align himself with allies who have got his back. Otherwise, he's not going to last very long in the current climate. You know, it's, it's very interesting. The, the, the character of the inspector calls Ahmad's um, father a terrorist. And um, there was a time when I think I would have automatically uh, agreed with him and, and sided against Ahmad's family, partly because Ahmad had walked away, but because there was this person of authority, you know, throwing stones, casting aspersions, um, speaking what they consider to be their truth or the truth through, through their eyes. And my experience is that the the power structure always labels the opposition as the other. The the power structure always has an agenda to cast the other as a threat to the state. And that's their game. If they can convince the majority, of the people, who they really don't care about. But if they can convince the majority of the masses that there is a threat out there that you need to be guarding yourselves against, then they win, right? Because we're so busy with the majority and the the other at each other's throat that they get to do whatever they please right in plain sight. We have lived that 
dynamic. Y'all, we are living through it. So we got to stand up. We have to stand up and do the right thing. Do the thing that we came here to do, which was to try to make this experiment, this democracy, as, as, as best a shining example as, as we can. We need to get out and vote, y'all, in massive, massive numbers, all hands on deck. I'll see you next time. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Smith, the best in the business, y'all. And we have a new researcher this season. That's Lakeisha Lewis. So glad you are aboard, my sister. And our editing and sound design is by Justin Asher and Brendan Burns. And my thanks to L.P. Kindred for allowing me to read his story today. It was first published in FIA, a magazine for black speculative fiction. That's F-I-Y-A-H, FIA. You can find LP on Twitter and Instagram at LP Kindred. And as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please recommend an episode to a friend who you think might enjoy it. You can also leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. And why not include a story suggestion for us? We love them. We read them. We use them. And if you would prefer to listen to episodes ad-free and listen to exclusive bonus author interviews, you can do that on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar to start your free trial. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher and LeVar Burton Entertainment. Our executive producers are Chris C.B. Bannon, Josephine Maharana, she's the boss, and yours truly, LeVar Burton. And I am LeVar Burton. You can find me on Twitter at LeVar Burton and LeVarBurton.com on Instagram. I will see you all next time, but you don't have to take my word. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.